0: Welcome, friends, to Breakfast in the Ruins, a Michael Mocock flavoured podcast. Almost four years ago now, on concluding our reportage on The Jewel in the Skull, whilst discussing Mocock's celebrated fast writing style of the time and just how breezy a read it was, Tash coined the phrase, This is a one shit book. And that gave us an idea for future shows. We also set three rules. First, it had to be fantasy. Second, Pops had to have read it. And third, It couldn't be a gazillion pages long, obviously, hence the one-shit book tag. So, almost three years later, Tash and I settled on our first one-shit book episode when we covered Danus, The Dark Straits of Reglathium, and then the format went into deep freeze for a while. Well, three years, give or take. Imagine my surprise then, when in July last year, a friend of the show, Michael from Germany, who is now technically Michael from Lithuania, dropped me a line to suggest a one-shit book for coverage. Snowcastles. By Duncan McGeary. First up, it's fantasy. Second, I've no idea if pops read it, but since it didn't come to me in the 80s, I'd suggest you probably didn't. But rules are for the birds, so whatever. And third, it's short. So, I tapped up a previous guest who have been discussing a variety of barbarian fantasy efforts like Thongo, Brack, and others, and based upon the cover alone, depicting a modestly thewed, or modestly, mightily thewed, and scantily clad musclehead. He agreed to read and discuss it with me. Thus was Clark of the Cruel tempted back to sample the delights of Derry and Tom's at Christmas time. As it happens though we had to rearrange a couple of times so it was almost the new year before we finally managed to hook up. So who is Duncan McGeary? The Fantastic Fiction website says, Duncan McGeary is the owner of the bookstore Pegasus Books of Bend located in downtown Bend, Oregon. He is the author of the fantasy novel Star Axe, Snowcastles and Ice Towers and the author of several horror novels including Led to the Slaughter and the Vampire Evolution trilogy. I looked up Pegasus books and it's a going concern that he and his also writer wife Linda have been running for over 30 years and the stock role-playing games too so if you're in that neck of the woods pay them a visit. Snowcastles was Duncan's second novel written in 1981 the first being Star Axe in 1980 and the third being the Snowcastle sequel Ice Towers in 1982. There seems to have been a 30-plus year gap after that before the rapid fire publication of a vampire trilogy in 2014, and since then he's been very busy indeed producing another dozen or more novels in the past 10 years. Even more interestingly, for us at least, Duncan wrote a tetralogy of killer pig books between 2014 and 2017, The Wild Pig Apocalypse that kicks off with Tusker's The Pigs Are Not Alright. Call me interested, as the kids would say. Well, the kids from probably 20 years ago, anyway. I checked whether this book is available in the UK, and sadly, it isn't. But I read the synopsis from a US sales site, and it goes thus. Barry had created a little piece of paradise in his southern Arizona backyard, until the javelinas came. His battle to rid his property of the wild pigs soon escalated into war. Too late, he realised these weren't ordinary animals. They were something new, something meaner. And smarter. These pigs weren't just at war with him, they were at war with the human race. And the humans were losing! Well that's me sold. But enough of killer brainiac pigs. Sit back, position your skimpy attire correctly to minimize chances of embarrassment and join Clarkie and me as we take a voyage to God's home and check out Snow Castles. <coughs> Oh, well, we're, uh, we're back in Derry and Tom's. It's technically still Christmas, Clarkie. Um, so yes. I've got my Christmas hat on. How has Christmas been for you? Oh, I should tell it. So it's the return of Clarkie the Cruel. Andy Clark, everybody, is back in Derry and Tom's. We're actually recording this the day before Christmas Eve. Um, so we're still very much in the holiday spirit. And, uh, well, I, th- I think we'll explain what we're going to talk about shortly. But how are you and how was Christmas? Day, day before New Year's Eve. Oh, what Not did Christmas I say? Eve. You said Christmas oh, Eve. Oh yeah. You've took us back it's... a week. It's well, time travel. You know what? If if it means staying away from work for another seven or eight days, I would quite. That, that would be. Turn back that pop. would be lovely. Wouldn't, it? Yeah, wouldn't um, it? yeah. Christmas
1: Christmas Christmas Day was pretty awful because yeah. my my mum for very good reasons decided to spend it on her own, but that kind of removed some of the glue from Christmas. Ah. Uh, And then there was a lot of setting up devices for kids. Uh Both the kids got phones. So the gay kind of disappeared in bits of recrimination and buried heads (laughs) and set up codes. And basically, you know, a lot of Christmas dinner wasn't eaten or was left over. But everything else has been lovely. Nick's been watching World's Strongest Man with me. And we've been, uh, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, Christmas Eve was lovely, Boxing Day was lovely, uh, but Christmas Day was a bit of a washout. But such, such is the danger of expectation. Yes, I which, think which you're may right. bring us to our subject matter.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Now, I, funnily enough, I, I just reread the last couple of chapters this morning. I said the last couple of chapters, probably the last chapter, because I think this entire book is split into five very long chapters. Five
1: or six chapters, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I say very long. It's not a long book, because no. I suppose we should point out, this this is our special one-shit book for Christmas episode, mm. which, okay, we were going to record it just before Christmas, but technically it's still Christmas. If we're thinking about the 12 it, days of Christmas, I think we've mm. got time. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this was pointed out to me, this book, quite a while ago by um, Michael from Germany. Hello, Michael from Germany. He sent me a link to this book and suggested it as something we could potentially talk about. So, therefore, we have. But before we get into Snowcastles by Duncan McGeary, what have you been reading this year? I mean, it's the end of 2023. Let's do a little quick year in review. What have you read this year that's really impressed you?
1: Right. I've got to open my Evernote now and look what I've actually read. Oh, my God. You're so organized. Well, that's because I do a pretentious end of the year blog post, don't I? Uh... So uh what have I I've read lots of uh self-improvement stuff, which has a no bloody effect on me whatsoever. <laughs> what I was what I was uh very much disappointed by was Realto the Marvelous by Jack Vance. Mm-hmm. So many people go grow on about Jack Vance. I found it um very much navel gazing wank fest, but I am uh-huh. told it is one of his weakest ones. Uh-huh. Uh I very, very much enjoyed Beasts of Valhalla by George C. Sesborough, which features a former circus performer and forensic expert, dwarf private detective, investigating mutation inducing, well, he's initially investigating the death apparently in a gay suicide pack of his nephew, but -hmm. it leads on to a range of uh, conspiracy and genetic manipulation and stuff like that. The Forever War by John Holden. Mm-hmm. First time reader of that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Twilight's Last Screaming, the follow-on to England's Last Screaming by Sean Hogan. That was brilliant mm. as well. And uh, I went down a little bit of a Iraq-between-the-wars rabbit hole. So I read about mm-hmm. the Iraq revolt in the 1920s, which was Battle on the Euphrates, and then about the Iraq coup in 1941 and the mm. Allied response to it, which which reads like it should be a film because mm. it's such a collection of against the odds, flips of a coin, random mm. chance, weird characters, weird units and stuff. So, But um, I read a couple of books on that. So, yeah, it's been
0: quite a busy year for reading, really,
1: for mm. me. Normally, You're I just very get ca- to read on holiday.
0: Yeah, you very kindly sent me the um, Beast from Valhalla. Uh, paperback as well, which I've got on my to-read list. Um, and yeah, I read The Forever War probably in my teens mm-hmm. and I remember really enjoying it. I, it was it was like a nice antidote to Starship Troopers which I read around mm-hmm. about the same time mm-hmm. which whilst um, the kind of gun and tech porn of Starship Troopers was really good. Um, it didn't particularly speak to me in uh, various other ways. But yeah, The Forever War I thought was excellent. I never did read the, the follow-up. I had it in an omnibus. No. No. Uh, no. and I never got around to reading that. I've still got it somewhere, kicking around on a shelf. But I think it was just, I think it might have been someone said, oh yeah, don't bother, it's crap. And I foolishly just took their advice and never got around to reading it. But I should probably give it a look at some point. It's interesting The
1: Forever War as well, because although it was written in the 70s by it, you know, a Vietnam War veteran. It's quite prescient and open-minded, and also non-dogmatic on issues of of sort of gender and sexuality, hmm. which uh, possibly also too in the eye to Heinlein. But it, uh, it, it it that was that was quite amazing, and because I know, like obviously, Michael Moorcock plays around with that stuff, but it's individual characters. This is whole societies.
0: Hmm. Um, the, the only reason I ever read it is because a mate of mine said that the third part of The Ballad of Halo Jones was heavily oh yeah. inspired by it. So that's God what yeah. put me onto it. Yeah, yeah very, much, it. So. very mm. much so. Very much. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to talk about what I've read this year because I've generally talked about what I've read this year on this podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the only, the only bits I've read in between stuff I've read for the podcast were some really bad Alien spin off novels or tie in. Um, novels, uh, the most interesting part of which they have scenarios for the alien role-playing game at the back, some of them, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. And actually, a couple of them were good, but I'm probably going to talk about some of that with Miles at some point, because mm-hmm. the absolute worst one I read, I uh, brutally punished him for being on this podcast by ordering him an edition and sending him it. So he now <laughs> he now has to read a really particularly interestingly terrible Aliens novel, Um, but we'll get to that in due course. But the most interesting thing I came across, I don't know if you saw it in the news not so long ago, but a chap in America called Demetrius Polychron, I suggest Polychron might be a made-up surname. Possibly. Yeah, tried to sue the Tolkien estate and Amazon Uh, because he said that the One Ring used elements of his unofficial lord of the rings sequel that he'd published and it turns out that he'd sent this unofficial lord of the rings sequel script manuscript to the tolkien estate saying look this is brilliant why don't we get together on this and was just roundly ignored and then they responded to his suit by getting it thrown out and him having to pay all their costs and then counter-suing to say you've published <laughs> you've published a Lord of the Rings sequel without any permissions <laughs> so he's now been ordered to pulp and destroy all copies of this lord of the rings sequel so i got really really interested in this i think it's called um and it's called the return of the ring or the return of the I can't remember, but I read the first chapter online because he had the first chapter up on a web page, and it's still there. You can still read it online. I thought this sounds really fascinating because it's not that long since I read some extracts from a Russian sequel, Russian written sequel to the Lord of the Rings. Which is that the one which kind of uh,
1: focuses on like the industrial nature of Mordor?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean the only bits the only bits I read were Faramir and. Was it, was it Faramir and Aowen in in their like new adventures? And the way it was written was, it was um, let's say it was about as far from Tolkien esque as you can possibly get. It was pretty bad. But right. I, I I became fascinated by this Demetrius Polychron business, so I decided to read this first chapter. And I'm go- I'm going to give you a, a precy of the first chapter, which is okay. basically the hero is Samwise's daughter. So Samwise, of course, is now the mayor of the Shire. His mm-hmm. beautiful hobbit daughter, who was described as second only in beauty in all of Middle Earth to Arwen, or Arwen's daughter, I can't remember, who has just come of age at 22 and is having nice. a debutante's party so all of the horny hobbits looking for wives in the Shire can come and try and court her. Now, huh. that's weird and janky enough. To start with, the fact that we're setting up Gorgeous Hobbit Daughter and all the other horny hobbits want to shag her because she's literally just come of age, that's bad. The other bit of the first few pages is, you remember the the much-fabled blue wizards in Middle-earth lore, who have never been in any of the books, but they're just referenced. There were Saruman... If you
1: say so. I'm not a massive Tolkien fan.
0: Yeah, there's Saruman, there's Radagast, there's Gandalf, and then there were two blue wizards. Well... The yes. other bit of the first chapter is the Blue Wizards, one of the Blue Wizards turns up to see Sam and tells yeah. Sam. Basically, Gandalf was an idiot. The one ring was like a poxy Teemu ring at best. Uh, Samwise takes this really badly. He's like, you know, fuck off, Gandalf was a chad. And the Blue Wizard is like, oh, no, there's older, better, madder, more dope rings than the one Saruman had. So how do they prove this? Well, it turns out that when they defeated Sharky, who was Saruman, of course, in the Scouring of the Shire? Mm. They buried him in the garden at Bag End. <laughs> so, so the dig up his corpse and get the ring off his finger. It's uh, yeah, it's. A, I suppose that's a start to a novel, uh, but yeah. it, it wasn't what I was necessarily expecting. <laughs>
1: no, I don't think uh, it's uh, it sounded particularly promising.
0: No, it was. And I bet uh, there was was...
1: some hot Hobbit action later
0: on. Oh God, I dread to think what goes on after that. Yeah, but you know what? I suppose Peter Jackson set the precedent, didn't he, for interracial love stories and short versus tall and everything else. But anyway, fuck all that.
1: Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, what? Didn't Tolkien set the precedent for interracial love stories with Aragon and what do we call it?
0: Well, I was I was thinking more of lo- tall versus short, um, right, okay. and the uh, the whole dwarf loves an elf and vice versa thing oh, in the Hobbit. Okay, yeah, definitely double act. Yes, uh, because problem with it. that is Legolas looks like he.
1: We we once had a monster watching of the Lord of the Rings, and one mate mm. made a mistake very early on of pointing out that Legolas always looks like he's just smelt fart.
0: Well, that is true, and yeah, that ruined the well. It
1: ruined and improved the watching experience for the whole nine ten hours.
0: You know, now you say that, I am actually picturing certain scenes where he does just that, and I can see. It. I don't even have to watch the film to see it in my mind's eye. Mm. Yeah. Well, he was stood next to John Reese Rhys- Davis for most of his scenes, so yeah. You know, what reason- are you said for John Reese Rhys- Davis. I'm saying maybe John Reese Davis had just said something called someone a stupid woman or said something um, particularly egregious because he appears to be a bit of a prick. He he was a prick
1: on the set of sliders, wasn't he? Because he he thought it was Doctor Who and it should all be about him.
0: Uh, Yeah. It appears that um, um, he has some form of reputation. Yeah. But I'm only really going by his appearance on Question Time. Which I, uh, I didn't see him know, on Question Time, but yeah. I think it, I think it was Question Time when he called someone a stupid woman. Um, it was a debate about, I don't know, God knows what it was. Probably about Brexit, because everything was about Brexit back in, at that time. Um, but, you know, whatever. John Reese davis seems like a bit of a prick. So well, you know, maybe that's why he looked like he had dog shit on his top lip the entire time. <laughs> there yeah. So anyway, we're going to talk about Snowcastles by Duncan McGeary. Which now, edition have I, you got? I, I have got the only one I think I've ever seen. Oh, same yeah. as me. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I don't think I've seen another edition of this. And what have we got on the cover? Well, describe the cover.
1: We have um, very not super bulky, but very eighties director video physique barbarian mm. hero. So so mm-hmm. lean and muscly, with. Um, some form of complicated jewelry type harness thing going down to a pair of big boy pants. Mm-hmm. Um, is that every... a fairy
0: nappy? I'm looking at that.
1: It, 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 I'm not sure if it's fairy nappy or a leather nappy. I think chafing's yeah. involved, whatever. Yeah.
0: yeah. An
1: overcomplicated helmet with uh full face visible, and the man looks like he's realised he hasn't paid his tax bill. He looks absolutely mm-hmm. terrified. Mm-hmm. Behind him, there is like a. Uh, icy mountains and an eagle with spread wings and then he's holding a weapon amongst the above his pumice fires which is um bizarre is it an axe is it a mace it looks unwieldy and impractical and is held at the least dramatic angle possible
0: Mm. and it it doesn't appear in the book either
1: and doesn't appear in the book no it's not fundra Mm. or whatever it's Mm -hmm. called and then he's you know, obviously the guys of the Rob Leefield school and isn't good with feet because he's ensured that the feet disappear into a, an implied crop of vegetation. Yeah, at it's the interesting. Base of that. The screen. Yeah,
0: yeah, because I've I've actually got the sequel here, Ice Towers, mm. which uh, is is got rid of the bizarre hammer stroke axe thing, but he's still got the funky helmet. This is more definitely depicted as a fairy nappy. Which, uh, you can oh, you hold so, yeah, it back a bit?
1: A bit yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a fairy fair and nappy. happy. But the and weirdest form thing of is crappy is Yeah.
0: So his, his feet are again hidden, but what's mm. with the children that look like they should be enjoying themselves on a Christmas card all being like in poses of abject horror as he poses in front of... I mean, what the fuck is going on there? It's they're
1: they're going to be, be weird, aren't they? They're weirs.
0: But why, what... what you know what? The Weirs weren't described as looking like 1970s kids in parkas with stripy <laughs> scarves, were they These look no. like kids from a fucking 1970s public information advert. No. But they're all obviously horrified by the low angle that they've got on his fairing at <laughs> The and, point
1: where the Weirs described as having sneaking into the home end for the last no. 30 minutes of a, of a tightly fought derby.
0: Yes. No, very true. And the one at the bottom right... We have a side profile, it's got an enormous schnoz and a tash. So I don't really know what's going on there. But yeah. Ice Towers. Will I ever read it? Mm, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's talk about snow castles. When I was first recommended snow castles, I decided to look it up on Amazon. And the Amazon mm. description is all in capitals. So it looks like some Yeah, it looks like a Shout keyboard it. warrior. Shout <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looks like a keyboard warrior has written it and there's lots of hyphens and full stops and no spaces between any of it so it goes something like this fantasy prince greylock the last surviving heir to the throne of the high plateau is banished from his frozen mountain comb land of god's home by his uncle the tyrant determined to gain the kingdom that is rightfully his greylock descends into the dreaded gateway of the underworld and the clammy caves of cursed demons to gather allies and win back his inheritance but his uncle will not rest oh i fucking lost his uncle's vicious steward the evil magician Redfrock, will not rest until the bloodline is terminated with greylock's Death Greylock meets and bonds with Murga a travelling firewizard of the lovely Mara. Together they plunge into the mysterious Twilight Dells to escape Red pursuit. It is there in the dells that Greylock discovers his true destiny and faces his greatest challenge. That's what's on the back. Yeah, it pretty much it sums it up quite neatly. I yeah. wish the text on the back had been in all capitals with <laughs> no spaces and occasional mm. full stops and hyphens. Now I don't know why the person was shouting and Although, the back of this book is a fairly apt description, I think, that pretty much does describe what goes down. Mm. I'm not sure about the description of the caves of the cursed demons, but I do like it. I'm not. Because I'm not sure where the cursed demons come into it, but I do like that their caves are described as clammy. I think that's Mm. a nice line. The clammy caves of cursed demons. So, that's our write-up. And I don't know, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Other than the clammy caves of cursed demons. That's not yes. accurate, because that doesn't happen. Although clammy caves do happen.
1: There's, there's Technically tunnels. It's, there's tunnels. It's, yeah. clam,
0: it's clammy lava tubes, isn't it? Yes, but, yeah. yeah,
1: clammy lava tubes.
0: Well, Are they clammy? Well, I think the the people of the border keep, the fat soldiers... <laughs> The fat, <laughs> out-shaped soldiers from the border keep. The TA, do, do. Yeah, Nick, they don't. They don't Friends. like it. <laughs> They're all Nick from yeah. Friends. Yeah. yeah, they don't like those lava tubes because um, yeah. they, they get. Yeah, the cat. The yeah. cat cope with the uh, the unlike the
1: sturdy yeoman.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The German, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to the border keep people and the yeoman yeah. and the farmers, won't we? Yes, but we've got to talk about maps. Because I I like fancy books that kick off with maps. And in this one, we get four. I know, but they're quite dense, aren't they? They're dense, dense. and I can't read them without a fucking magnifying glass. Yeah. Yeah. I often enjoy looking at these maps and looking at them thinking, what's written on them? Because, you know, sometimes on maps, you get pretty spectacularly dull names for places. But, you know, we've got the River Agned. All right. We've got the Far Valley. There's no near valley, but we've got a far valley. What else? We've got Twilight Dells, Tear of Demons. Ooh. Sounds interesting. We don't yeah. go there. No. Yeah. Fiefdoms of Trolled. Yeah, we don't go there either. Yeah, yeah so, okay, fairly standard. Yeah, we have an, aerial and, an aerial and cross section view of God's Home, which is, you know. Yeah. These five maps. The first map is a big map. The second map is a zoom in on the top of the map with a cross section, all of which is too small to read. Mm -hmm. And then we get a a zoom in on the region of Twilight Dells, uh, all of which is too small to read. Although I do see that in the tier of demons, there are little pictures of demons, which is nice. Mm. And the last one is the region of the Border Keep, which is a little zoom in of a zoom in. And Mm. not entirely necessary, I don't think. But, you know. Maybe not for this book. No, but I think at some point in the future, it may be important for us to know where the orchards are and the croplands. But we don't know right now. That would probably be for the, you know,
1: the agrarian section of the the saga.
0: Yeah, I should just probably check what maps at the beginning of Ice Towers. Uh, Oh, the Lands of Greylock's Adventures, the Homelands. Oh. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, oh, some of them are exactly the same. Repeated maps. So it looks like we will go back to the region of the border town.
1: And, and these maps are by Derry Timlec, BFA, MSCAE, MAAE, Faculty of Education, University of Ottawa, Ottawa, Canada. Nice. So, uh, you know, nice to give a, a full extensive credit to the
0: map maker. Yeah, thanks for all the qualifications. That's, uh, that's yeah, excellent. That, that, that yeah. puts I don't know what thinking. any of those are, but he's very... Ah. yeah. And do we need to know? Is it not just okay just to know that that dude did it?
1: It's a bit like when your do- mum sends you that first letter, isn't it? When you're in uni and it's BA ons when it comes through mm. the
0: letterbox. I don't know. T- to me, it's a little bit closer to... Uh, I worked in a nursing home briefly in the early 2000s on nights to earn beer money. And there was another nurse who worked there, and he would write in the notes. I'm going to call him Bob Smith, just so I'm not going to use his real name. But uh, he would write in the notes Mrs. X was incontinent of urine, changed her pad, pressure saw creamed, and then he would sign Mm. it Bob Smith, staff nurse, BA on psychology. Thanks for letting us know. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, back to the book. (laughs) Highly <laughs> relevant. Highly relevant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give us a, give it, <laughs> give us give us the setup on, uh, on on what this book's about. So effectively Greylock, Prince Greylock, has
1: been manoeuvred through uh, theological manipulation because his people who live on the God's Home. Did he live on the God's Home? Is it the God's Home they live on? Mm-hmm. It's the God's Home they live on, isn't it? Yep, the High Plateau of God's Home. Yes, the oh. High Plateau, which is all icy and snowy. And I, I will come on to some of the naming conventions for the God's Home later because it oh, yeah. frustrates me. Um, but he lives on the High Plateau and he has been uh manipulated by the hated... uh What's his name? Red something. Carol Redfrock. Yes, Carol Redflock, very seasonal, Uh, into basically contesting uh, some of their home truths. So they basically believe that demons live below them and above them on the high mountaintops live the gods. And they banish people up to the gods and they don't return. And Mm. he said, well, they could have just basically died on the mountain and it's heretic. So Mm. he's been banished to the demon lands. So Mm. he's going down there and he's got his talons to help him climb. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a nice little detailed touch. And mm-hmm. no weaponry. He goes down there. He does find that while well, there aren't demons, they're definitely um somewhat pathetic. They're not zombies, but they kind of fill the same role as zombies. Even though mm-hmm. they're intelligent people of being like a anamorphous.
0: Yeah. Well before threat. we get onto the weir. Yeah, before we yeah. get onto the weir. Let's talk about the uh, the situation up at God's home because of we we have the steward Carol Redfrock, who wears a scarlet robe. There's a surprise. It's, yeah. it's not just a it's a particularly clever name, it's not a random name. It's Redfrock, mm. and he wears well, he doesn't wear a frock, he wears a scarlet robe, and he has a Raven familiar. Now who else have we got up there? We've got Greylock's best mate, Slim Spear. Oh yes, who isn't Slim? Yeah, we found out he's not actually yes. slim. He, he's no. a fat so who just says that he wants to get slim. So Greylock yeah. takes the piss out of him by calling him Slim Spear. Mm. We've got Lady Silverfrost, who's Greylock's oh, yes. squeeze. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. But oh. well, and we'll find uh, out a little bit more about how fickle Lady Silverfrost is. Oh. Later oh. On. oh. And we uh, found out that the tyrant. We've got the tyrant. His uncle, the tyrant. When it comes to naming, naming conventions, I think got the best deal. And, yeah. of course, we've, we've got Greylock, who is called Greylock because he has a Greylock of hair.
1: Yes. The the tyrant, it should be pointed out, that is his title, not mm. just his, and it's not specific to him. So whoever rules Greyhome, Snowhome, Snow, blah, 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 Godhome, mm. whoever rules it is uh, the tyrant. Yeah.
0: So Greylock yeah. is going to skedaddle down the mountain to the land of the demons, and he does come across two demons. Pretty quickly, as it happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and these are the other two main characters in the book. Uh, let's have a look. Let's 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 have a little read. Well, pa- Patrick Trouton and Carolyn Monroe. Well, I wouldn't go Carolyn Monroe because she's no. described as a child. Although, as the as the book develops, I think she the author starts to think about, yeah, Yes. Well, yes. yeah. We'll get to we'll get to that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 so. The two the two strangers yeah. and Greylock stood back now and examined each other openly. That the girl had mistaken him for a god was understandable, for Greylock was as tall and as handsome as any picture of a god she had ever seen. His black curly hair fell about his shoulders, and despite the cold, his chest was bare. He was not heavy, but finely muscled, and he moved with quickness and grace, as they had just witnessed. The only feature that marred his aspect was a thick lock of grey hair which fell over his forehead, though he could not yet have reached his 20th year. Right now, he was staring back with startled black eyes. Most of this gaze was reserved for the other man. Greylock could not understand how a man this old could still be living. On the high plateau, such a man would long ago have sought the comfort of the gods before it was too late, or he was too enfeebled to reach the heights. Surely this man was on his way to God's home now, and therefore could demand of Greylock whatever help and assistance he needed. The old man must be near death, Greylock thought, for the skin was drawn tight about his face and speckled with brown spots. Only the mass of brown hair belied for a moment Greylock's impression of great age but then the man's severely deformed back obviously showed that he was very old. He paid little attention to the girl during the first brief scrutiny. That she was blonde and green-eyed and had reached an awkward age between child and woman was all he noticed. Obviously, she had shot up in height recently and she needed much more weight on her bones to be pretty. So that's our introduction to Moog and Mara. Mm Moog, the fire wizard, and Mara, his granddaughter... Who apparently has some kind of wizardly powers but refuses to use them. I wonder if An that And wizard. There later An on. Air, An wizard. air wizard. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And as and is I the nature the of these things. The whole
1: magic system
0: is odd. Well, it's all about contracts and gliden, isn't it? Gliden's this book's name for gold because in Danis style, we've got to have a weird name for something which is commonplace. Although, thankfully, it's the only incidents of Dana style language in this entire book, which is uh, pretty, uh, pretty mm, pleased it about, to be honest. I don't yeah. know. Can you think of uh, There are no gimmicks. There are no random ice, measures of ice distance. Towers. Nah, ice ice towers. Ice the... towers, fine. One word, another word, put them together. But what no, we don't no. have is... What we don't have, it was several kimmics to the bottom of the, uh, of the slope. No, and we don't have it, that, it, it but t- I, do,
1: I do feel... When they go back to God's home, it does feel like you know when you're watching a 1950s science fiction film and it's like, let's sit down and have our space food.
0: Oh, wow, well, there is an element.
1: Yeah, because everything's but... ice and snow. I mean, these people live yeah. in ice and snow, so why would they be having to denominate it like that? It's, well, that's is. fair,
0: but, but as yeah. long as they're not coming up with random measurements of snow, like 17 quantics of snow were required to build just four kimmigs of fence, which is when you get into Dana's territory. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Fair enough. We find out what this underworld consists of as well. So they travel together, and they travel through the Twilight Dells initially, mm-hmm. where we come across the weir. And, the, and the Greylock weir, has this the, weird weir, feeling weir. that the
1: the ground isn't right. There is some mm. contamination in this earth.
0: Yeah. There's something strange and diseased. The people appear to be diseased and um, off in some way. They all have grey hair. The, yes, they do. And after his experience with the weir, his hair starts to turn increasingly grey as well. Mm. I wonder what that could mean. I wonder if Ooh. that foreshadows some form of twist. Yeah, yes. we'll find out. So, what does this underworld consist of? We've got the Twilight Dells. Now, I think one of the things this book does that's quite interesting is it creates a fairly tangible setting. Does it work logically? Well, maybe. Maybe not, but it doesn't really matter in this kind of fantasy novel. It's using some of the fantasy tropes. I think it's a bit weird that you've got the Twilight Dells, then the walk into the 45 minutes, and they're at the Border Keep, which is a completely different landscape, which is the second region that we come across mm-hmm. in this relatively short book. And the Border Keep lot, there's this... Well, actually, no. We should talk about the Twilight Dells first, don't we, shouldn't we? Because mm-hmm. they do sort, sort of get captured. Yeah, the, they do so. Yeah. In in our first opportunity for Greylock to actually engage in some form of manly combat, he decides that the weir all look a bit pathetic. So they just sort of allow themselves to get captured. And I kind of like that as a character, though. Yeah, well, I, th- I think him not just, you know, laying into loads of weaklings hmm. is, uh, and scattering the brains all over the place is absolutely fine. It also gives us an opportunity to learn a little bit more about what this wizard contracting Mm. system and how that works. But I'm not sure I ever really got my head around it. That's because
1: it's inconsistent. Because when it comes to... (sighs) Remind myself of names again, because my memory is reduced to... Mug. 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 Mm -hmm. Mug is very clear he needs to be contracted to do magic. And they Mm. do the whole contractual arrangement. And then Mara says, no, don't give it back to him. Because you can enter into a contract with a wizard, get a wizard to do something with you, and then you can give the thing back as a gift, and the wizard is freed from the contract, mm. which is the why Mo agrees to take payment and do the magic. But then mm. we have incidents where it seems like Mara's doing magic, and she's not contracted to anyone. Mm. So how's that working? And Redfrock seems to have some pre uh, preternatural abilities with his, his uh, hawk-eagle familiar and I'm pretty sure he's not contracted to anyone, although that might be a mm. twist in the future. And then we also have the Lord High Mare, who got magical ability from Moag, got his mm-hmm. um, his familiar, which is pretty cool, and we'll come on to mm. later. And he's not contracted to anyone. So it seems mm. like this exists for the purposes of binding Moag to Greylock, but then it's more kind of in abeyance for anyone else. So that's why I never really got it, because I was like, well, she's not contracted to anyone. If if it had said, or had like an off-screen moment or whatever, where she'd said, well, you know, however uncomfortable this might have been, I love Greylock, and that is like a contract, or whatever, then, okay, yeah, it's starting to fit. And I quite like the idea that Wizards can't do magic unless they're in a contract with someone. That's quite a neat Mm. Because it it limits their power, doesn't it? it hmm. And it, it's got to be at the service for others.
0: Yeah, I think I maybe ended not good people, like, but you
1: know. Yeah, you
0: know, I ended up taking it like this is just some weird affectation of Mark that right. he seems that he seems to just live like by geez. this code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He just, for some reason, he lives he lives by this code, or something's trapped him into this code at some point in the past that we don't really know about. Because mm. you're right, no other wizards actually. Do this or use this system of bondage to mm. be able to use their magic. So, uh, I can sort, I could sort of deal with that. It doesn't bug me as much as calling Gold gliden for Gliden aggravating me. But the the yeah,
1: may, maybe it's my day job. But the lack of contra- contractual inconsistency wound me up.
0: <laughs> anyway, he, he he does he contracts Mug. Is this where the duplicate sword comes in?
1: Yeah, because he's got like a little jewelry version of a sword, hasn't he? And yeah. Gligon basically, um, not Gligon, Morg makes it into a full-size replica, which comes in useful yeah. because it's a replica of like the sword of kingship, tyrant yes. ship even, yeah. for the god home. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, it's so exact it even has the carvings on the blade and stuff, mm. despite being a miniature. So the craftsman That's of cool. God Home must be amazing. Um yeah. But yeah, it's
0: awesome. But he kind yeah. of gets a sword. Uh, so Greylock's got a funky sword that he barely uses the entire book. Because we'll we'll talk about some of the fantasy tropes. One one fantasy trope that we don't really get a lot of is Greylock, the buff hero hacking people up. But, he's not. It's you know. not really a violent not, man, is
1: he? No, he's not. No, he's no, not. At he's, all. he's not. He's not for a barbarian book. And whether God home is that type of barbarian is is a question. Whatever
0: barbarian means.
1: But he's mm. not it's not that cliche of the barbarian.
0: It's another it's another good example of a misleading cover, because this cover is mm. obviously designed to cash in on the strapping barbarian with huge weapon, although mm. the second book, less that more strapping barbarian, terrifying <laughs> <Caring> children <school. laughs> with what whatever's whatever's under his nappy. The more you say that, the more I want to see
1: like a, a set of YouTube shorts, which are Conan the Supply Teacher. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, the, there is there was a webcomic, wasn't there? It was, it was like Conan the I can it was Conan the Office Worker. No, there's
1: Conan the Salary Man, which is a Conan um, the which is yeah. which was on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a role player who did that. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So they escaped the Twilight Dells thanks to Greylock Contracting with Morg, and they move on to the Border Keep. Uh, the Border mm. Keep is a completely different kettle of fish. And it is amazing, really. that the, This is a short book, and the font size on the pages is large. There's not a huge word count on every page. Yet, nevertheless, it feels like the first 100 pages, they rattle through incredibly quickly, and we basically meet the weir, and we meet the Border Keep lot. On the way to the Border Keep lot, Greylock does continue to have dreams about the weir and he continues mm. to go greyer as they progress. Mm. And Mara keeps pointing out, you know what, your hair's getting greyer. But they get to the board keep, and we have a completely different thing going on here between Mayor Tarleton and his rat familiar and Yerman Harkon of the Farmers. Although mm. it's not really massively developed, but we are aware that there is some form of tension. <laughs> Tarleton's
1: there. an interesting name because Tarleton was a came from a long-standing Liverpool family and was a cavalry commander in the American War of Independence. Oh, interesting. Uh, so there's a Tarleton Street or Road in Liverpool City Centre, but mm. I think he's played by Jonathan Sachs in The Patriots because he was basically like an anti-insurgent cavalry commander. Right. Okay. Um, so you know, quite brutal and quite a nasty reputation in the Americas
0: as well Because be it's a, a very specific name, isn't it? Mm. So it's not. So it's not I like wonder, a, not a common name, that.
1: Yeah. So it could have just come to him, but I would wonder if he he was flicking through a book or something and took that inspiration.
0: Hmm. Possibly. And well, the Talton it, helmet
1: possible. was a particular type of cavalry helmet as well.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's better than Broad Cheeks or anything else that he might have come up with. So, Mr. You know, Corrupto. Can, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mayor Corrupt Chap. Yeah, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. We've got this power <laughs> dynamic. It's, it's it's not really kind of worked upon, but the Yeoman, Harkon, and the farmers seem to kind of accept that there's this deal where the mayor and his rather, as we described earlier on, the Border Keep Territorial Army keep a lid on things and spend more time on extravagant flowery costumes than pretty yeah. much anything else.
1: Now... Yeah, the, the second border keep, Mark Francoise's.
0: Yes. Yeah, very yeah. much so. We do kind of very rapidly rattle through this little bit of exposition where it turns out that Moog has been there before. Moog had a contract with the mayor. Moog feels like the mayor tricked him in some way. Mm-hmm. Not really clear how that worked or why. But as a result of this, the mayor got his rat familiar and mm-hmm. he he released Moog from his contract. Why Moog has got a beef about all this is never really made entirely clear.
1: I think I think Moog is just a bit like Nigel Neal. I think he's just permanently pissed off.
0: Uh, yeah, very possibly. It definitely yeah. does seem to be the case that he's, he's got his affectations and by gum, if people don't stick by his code, he just gets miffed with them because he even gets yeah. miffed with Greylock eventually. Yeah. Doesn't he? And uh, there yeah. there is a point where Greylock actually loses his patience with Moog and grabs him by the throat and chows at him. Yeah. And there's a there's a little bit of the text that says, and from this point onwards, at this up until this point, they'd traveled together with uh, a a degree of, of camaraderie, but that was now gone for good. And you think this is gonna come back. This is gonna be a payoff to this, but there mm-hmm. never is. Well, not in this book. Not least. in this book. Yeah. Yeah, no. we also get a, a hint that the rat familiar might be in communication with the raven familiar of Scarlet Red Cloak red, 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 <laughs> red Scar- Frock, Red Red frock. Frock. Red Frock, Red Frock, Red Frock. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's again, that's not really played out particularly. We just think, oh no, this mayor's a wrong one, and this is going to pay off. It never really does. Well, it's interesting. So a few things that pay off.
1: Just a little bit, just a little bit with the betrayal or attempted betrayal. But the rat's kind of an oversized white rat and kind of whispers in the worm tongue like in the mare's ear. I thought that was, I like the rat. I like the rat as giving a kind of an air of, I found the first chapter incredibly hard. Once we got into the weir more, I think it picked up. And I really liked the rat, the mayor. And I like the fact that you've got kind of the, the yeoman. Generally unhappy with the situation but not ready to move yet. Yeah. Um yeah. and and that kind of an instability or tension. But then mm. these characters, these three come in as, as a wild card and start to, mm. you know, present options to
0: people. Yeah. I yeah. quite like that. I am not normally a person who yearns for more development and for books to be longer. But th- this all rattles by far too quickly. Funnily enough, the point you just made about finding the first chapter hard work, this book improves as it goes. And actually, I think the final chapter is my favourite chapter of the whole mm. book. But not f- not for reasons I expected, mm. because you know, generally when you get to the final chapter, you want some kind of massive cataclysmic climax where everything pays off. But the reason I like the last chapter so much, and we'll get to that, is for completely different reasons, really. But I always like I always like a good animal familiar like Jerry and his winged cat and all that stuff. It's, it's always good fun. But I suppose to cut to the chase, Greylock and the mayor decide that Greylock's going to go back to God's home and he's going to use the mayor's lot as his supporting army, and they're going to go and take God's home, which is where some strange parallels start to kick in, which we'll uh, re-examine as we go. But meanwhile, Greylock is still having dreams and is now having visions, and he has visions of some weir and we get a major twist so so he's at god's home he's he's a a, a couple of weir appear outside and he goes outside and says he was not surprised this time when out of the dark the figure of a man emerged followed by an old woman the man who could have been greylock's twin or perhaps a younger brother had well-structured dark features but even the spell of the weir the old woman appeared ancient and ravaged Greylock was mildly surprised to find a woman that old amongst the people of the Twilight Dells. The man raised his hand in greeting. Greylock stopped and also signed a greeting. The man, or apparition, seemed to be trying to say something to him, but Greylock, as in his dreams, could understand nothing but the urgent need of the stranger. Everything sounded much harsher, yet somehow removed, like someone scratching the glass on the far side of a window pane. He says that the people of the valleys welcome the Deliverer, Mara said suddenly from beside him, and he noticed her presence for the first time, as if she had just stepped into the light. Whatever the meaning of this meeting, it was apparent to Greylock that in some way Mara was to play a role. He begs forgiveness for their attacks, but they did not recognise you when you passed before, she translated. He begs to know when you will return to lead them to their freedom. Greylock shook his head in puzzlement. I am not returning. I have nothing to do with these people. I am not this deliverer, he speaks of, with such reverence. Now the old woman stepped forward and started to speak. Her voice was no more than a croak, but Greylock could understand the horrible words without translation. You must help the weirs, my son, for your father was one of them, the greatest of their kind since they were so long imprisoned. For him, I was banished from the high plateau. Now you must help them. So Greylock is a weir. His dad was a weir. Big reveal. They have a prophecy that he is the deliverer and he will, I don't know, do whatever's required to free them. Take from them their, back to God's home. Yeah, yeah. free them from their bondage of shit's town and bad soil and being generally pale and weak and sickly. Hmm. This is why his hair's turning grey consistently. Following this, the Border keep army marches on towards God's home, but Greylock decides, Elric style, another parallel here, he should recue the approach to God's home, but takes Morg with him. Now, Mara, they leave behind. She's not impressed with this. He leaves her behind with Yeoman Harlock, but she escapes by using magic. And Murg's finally impressed that she's actually used her magic because so she she's always refused to use her magic. Hmm. But why did she decide to use her skills at this specific moment? I think we need to talk about Mara at this point. Okay, because let's talk about Mara. She's clearly described as a child when Greylock first met
1: Well, I... In that awkward age between child and woman, I think was the yeah. exact wording. Yeah, a so child, that's so just a teenager.
0: What, yeah, yeah, in fancy terms we're talking about a teenager we're talking about a child who's started to grow boobs, aren't we? That, if if an author yeah. says the awkward the awkward stage between child and woman, it means physical budding. You know, it's just it's just shorthand, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, But she's, she's still a child. And then there's a, a reference to him a little bit later on of him seeing potential beauty in her, but it stops there. But even at that point, I was starting to expect the worst at this stage. So let's have a look. We're, we're, we're here now. Well, well, Murk chuckled, and Greylock turned in astonishment at the happy sound. Prince Greylock, you have succeeded in making her do what I've been pleading with her and her cajoling her to do for years. She has used her magic, and without the orders from a master, her motivation must have been very strong indeed for her to do that, and I do not think it's because she wants to be with her grandfather, he finished, looking at Greylock in appreciation. So going back to what we were saying earlier on about the wizard's contract thing, there is there does seem to be a suggestion from Moog there that it is a broader thing than just his own old affectation, or is it just an old-fashioned thing? You know, hmm. like, a, like a class structure thing, he's old? I don't know, we don't really know. Yeah. But it says Greylock was bewildered further to see a red flush rise in Mara's cheeks, He remembered his earlier promise to himself to look for the truth in her face, but he did not like the truth he was seeing in her face right now. She couldn't be in love with him, she was still a child, and he was promised to the Lady Silverfrost. But even if he raised his objections to himself, he saw that in their few weeks together she had swiftly grown out of that awkward phase he had first noticed. She was almost a woman. Her bright green eyes suddenly showed a maturity that had not been there before. Her long blonde hair no longer had the downy softness of childhood, of the healthy glow of a woman, and her habit of flicking the hair from her eyes was no longer annoying, but alluring. Her slim figure had filled out in a few short weeks. Not knowing what to say in the embarrassed silence, he turned abruptly and brushed by her without further word. Now, there is something about the male power fantasy element of yeah. books like these. It's, it's almost like... We've got it in Mocock. We've got Elric and his girl bride in Mocock, even though I don't think there's ever really a reference to...
1: A child
0: growing into a woman. Apparently, Piers Anthony is pretty bad for it. Right. I I think I read a Piers Anthony book when I was a kid called Cruel Lie, and I can't remember a thing about it, but I never read any more Piers Anthony. Uh, I don't know But I know
1: there was a bit of discussion on Blue Sky about how Piers Anthony has quite a lot of. That kind of thing. I think the only thing you can say to. um, On this, is that, and admittedly, he's a late teenager. He's, He's. like it says, he's not yet 20, so presumably he's 18, 19. So from our perspective, still legally an adult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, but it's I, not I like actually, he's a 45-year-old man.
0: You no, know? I, I think yeah. it's, it's not Thomas It's not Thomas Covenant, is it? But I yeah. think thinking about Greylock, who probably by now should be called Grey Mop, because yes, he's, um, he's, indeed, he's entirely cause... Grey. Grey Mop or Grey Mullet or, or whatever. It, it could be worse because Greylock, even as a guy who hasn't turned 20 yet, is still finding it unpalatable. Yes, even whilst recognising in her, in inverted commas, some growth, and you just mentioned Piers Anthony. We have w- read much, much worse in fantasy, mm. but there's still just that element where that I also think it's, it's like the Daily Mail watching Charlotte Church grow up. Mm. You know, yeah, very uh, much so. Sort of in in microcosm, and and it's it's common in fantasy, but I think I think we can say in this book's defence. As you pointed out, it could be a lot worse. He is a guy who's probably 19 and he's got an awkward girl who he is starting to notice like the the flush of womanhood, whatever the hell you want to call it. But at this stage, he's like, you know what? No, this is making me uncomfortable. And that, much like the situation with the weir, where rather than laying into them to stop them getting captured, is like, these people are weak and pathetic. And he kind of steps back it does make Greylock a slightly more appealing character than your average lunghead barbarian, which, you know, ain't such a bad thing. So it's th- that's, that element of stuff is there, but by mm-hmm. gum, it could be a lot worse. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that's fair enough. And wonderful filling there as I had to leave the kitchen and go up the stairs. That's
0: um, all right. That's why I, that's why I kept on yakking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was filling in for my colleague. <laughs> um... Yeah, I think that's
1: right. I think it's more thoughtful than. Uh, excuse me, while I recapture my breath from going <laughs> up three flights of
0: stairs. Um, do you need me to? Do you need me to cover for you
1: again? Uh, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it was more thoughtful and considered, hmm. and he takes yeah. things at a slower pace, which is kind of a note of the book. I've left my copy downstairs now, but it's kind of a feature of the book. Yeah. Well I mean a, strength we're, we're, and a weakness. But you know. Yeah, I
0: mean the book's rattling to a close now. I mean it's it's amazing really that we're hundred and ten pages in and we've got this buff barbarian on the cover of a book and he hasn't brained anybody yet. But that there is uh that this it's it's an odd book, but I think there are things to like in this mm. book. Even if some of it is thinly drawn, maybe. But you know, it's okay. But Greylock and his companions do reach the plateau and the snow castle of his mate, Slim Spear, who turns out is not only fat, but is highly religious as well. Mm. But he finds out from Slim Spear that his loved one, his betrothed, Lady Silverfrost, may just be slipping away from him. Mm. Yeah. Relief flooded Slim Spear's face and he threw open the door. As he hugged the returned prince, Greylock motioned to the hidden underworld as abruptly from behind his back. They hurried up the stairs, trying desperately to maintain their footing and their speed, the sight of the warm interior summoning them. Then they were through the open door. Slim Spear followed them through the windswept inner courtyard and into the small, cosy rooms within the stone walls at the end of the long outer corridors, staring at the two visitors in shock. All the colour had drained from his face. The owner of the snowcastle belied by his appearance his name. He was anything but slim, and had received the nickname from Greylock by once vowing that he would someday be as slim as a spear. "'Now he looked as if he would never eat again. "'What is it, Slim Spear? Greylock exclaimed, "'concerned by the intensity of his friend's reaction. "'I have failed!' "'What do you mean, Slim Spear? "'For generations beyond counting, my family-held Castle Guardian, "'pledged to protect the high plateau from demons. "'Now I have let two, no three, for you must be one too, into my country.' "'Greylock had removed his hood, revealing his silver hair. "'Demons! I have failed the tyrant and my people!' Nonsense, Slimspear, Greylock coaxed as only friends can. I've been to the underworld. It's not full of demons. It's not anything like what the gatekeepers say. Greylock realised suddenly that nothing he was saying was penetrating his friends' days. Desperately he said, Cheer up, Slimspear. How do you know I am not this deliverer the gatekeepers are always talking about? Though Greylock had tried to conceal his real wonderings behind this joke, Mardreff, because that's Slimspear's real name, Mardreff saw through it and glimpsed his concern. Of course, you are the deliverer. You must be. I should have known. The three spies relaxed at last and fell into the soft chairs. They were safe until morning. Later, Slimspear took his friend aside and broke the news of Lady Silverfrost's coming marriage to the steward, Redfrock. I must speak to her, he exclaimed. Does she believe me dead? No, Greylock, Slimspear said sadly. You must not talk to her. You do not realise all that has happened since you left. The steward's power has increased, and Silverfrost has given in to him. She is completely his now. I don't believe you, Greylock denied what he was hearing. She hates Carol Redfrock. Silverfrost was never what you thought she was, Greylock. She has a weak will and is not worthy of you. It's time you realised that. Let us see what she says when I am tyrant, Greylock said, knowing she would come to him then and not sure if he would take her. Mm. Uh, so we've got budding teenage girl in love with the hero. We've got fickle women. Although Silver Frost may be redeemed yet, so we've got lots of these nice or nice or problematic, fancy tropes, however you want to look at it. But more specifically, we've got our hero leading a force of outsiders to raid and pillage his homeland, which the outsiders have always viewed as remote and godlike, to rescue his betrothed from the villain. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if the parallels will stop there.
1: Well they don't are you, are you because- suggesting there's parallels to a to a,
0: <laughs> well, a well, let's see. text. Let's see, because the next thing he does is lead the We've... border keep lot up to the plateau into the lava tubes that connect the snow castles of God's it, home. It didn't occur to me reading it, that was a parallel. A maze. A maze of lava tubes. Yes. So he leads the invading army of outsiders into a maze <sighs> ahead yes. of trying to lead them on a rampage rampaging pillage through his homeland to rescue his betrothed from the villain. Uh, now, of course, you could say that these are just common fantasy tropes, perhaps, hmm. but you know, it's is, it's is fairly specific. But it all goes wrong anywhere. It's naturally. not a police
1: that ships have to navigate, though, is it? <laughs> no,
0: no, it's it's it all goes wrong anywhere. But we we do get some. I did enjoy the descriptions of of the the fat tiers struggling struggling to get not only to get up to the plateau but wandering through these these lava tubes going Ugh, uh, can we have a rest yeah. <laughs> and, and him getting frustrated with them going oh for fuck's sake pick it, your it, feet
1: up it does seem like it's not the best force to use to take on your uh hardy northern barbarians is it i mean
0: well at one point merg says he does say oh god this lot are useless i told you we should go to the fiefdoms of trolled <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and get them instead yeah. which is the only reference we ever get to the fiefdoms of Trolled that are on the map <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the book which is merg said this lot of shit we should go to the fiefdom of trolls. But, but there's
1: no indication they have an advantage of technology or you know no. better armor or, or anything that's going to give them an it's just
0: yeah. there's, there's a couple of things that again that that are referenced that you think this is setting something up that don't quite play out because he makes Greylock makes a big play of getting the to keep lot to wear white
1: mm. because
0: they're going up to the god's home but the mayor is so arrogant he insists on wearing green and having yeah. his red hair constantly out and unsure mm. and at one point Greylock thinks oh i'm gonna to have to have a word with him about that but it never really pays off something else that doesn't quite pay off. It's just, like, mm. little details that don't really pay off. But it all goes it, wrong. It would be good to know
1: what the writing approach was. Like, was it all plotted out, or was it Or did you write it on the bog? Yeah, yeah, effectively, it was it written on the bog? And, you know, at one point it was like, oh, yeah, I'll have them ambushed in snow, and then it was, no, lava tubes! And then, yeah. like, that, that whole, you know, stealth in the snow
0: bit got lost. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely get the sense there's there's an element of writing on the bog involved mm. here. But you know what? If he did write it on the bog, well done. Good luck mm. to him. Because I, you know what? I've read a oh, I've read a lot better, but I've read a lot worse. I found Levels. this uh, yeah. a very pleasing diversion. Mm. But it all, it all goes wrong anyway. The army gets trapped in a big lava pit, kind of Battle of the Crater style. Mm. Although it doesn't quite transpire to be Battle of the Crater because they just get sealed in in complete mm. darkness and the air is blocked off, so they begin to suffocate. But that's when we get this really fantastic passage from Mara's perspective that I actually thought was the best part of the book, Yeah, where she essentially becomes the most heroic and interesting character in the book. There's a pretty harrowing section, which I think is really well written in terms of building tension where she's essentially buried in soil and starting mm. to suffocate, and having to use a power to, but she's got no sense of up or down, mm. and she and she finds herself, you know, she she makes her way through it into a wall, and she has to just create a void around yeah, herself. She yeah, so she she's
1: she's fumbling around and she falls into this ditch, and yeah. Starts to suffocate
0: and has to work her yeah. way out. Yeah, yeah. so she, she uses her powers, but she's got no sense of, of direction. She ends up coming up against a stone wall and she's kind of fighting panic the entire time. It's pretty good, but she uses her powers. She finds her way into the tyrant's keep near the kitchens. Uh-huh. And I suppose to cut a very long story short, she has a quick encounter with the tyrant who seems to be um, delirious and close mm. to death. He says, tell... Greylock, I'm proud of him, before kind of lapsing back into tyrant mode and saying, "Begone, demon. Mm-hmm. And then she actually gets back and frees the army from their almost tomb. And this is gone on for maybe, for a book that kind of rattles through things pretty quickly, Yeah, little adventure goes on for four or five pages. And I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I thought mean, it was really, really good. Best section of the book by a mile. And, and actually getting things from Mara's perspective was really fresh.
1: Quite unusual to get the ancillary female character to contribute to the plot in that way
0: hmm. yeah
1: you know and not not by benefit of her position or whatever but through action yeah. yeah yeah
0: i did have to laugh though because when when she gets back and she essentially frees them and they're able to get out and get involved in a melee with the forces of god's home it says uh, so this is grey quickly he shouted again we must escape before the seal is in more than anything else could have, this threat seemed to alert the dazed soldiers of their danger. Revived suddenly, they bounded towards the beckoning square of light that was their only escape route, just as the light was blocked by the figure of a warrior. The guards had reached the landing just as the underworld army surged towards it. The battle that followed was a bloody struggle that horrified Greylock. All his plans of conquest had depended on surprise, but they had been the ones who were surprised. Only the lucky escape of Mara had saved them from being sealed forever in a tomb beneath the castle tyrant. Now, evenly matched and determined armies confronted each other on the small stone landing under the castle. In this strange battle, only a few men could fight at the same time, while the others watched the life and death struggle in dread and waited to take the place of the fallen. Only the presence of the yeomen of the border keep such as Harkar saved the underworld army from being annihilated, for only they could withstand the assault for long. There were no survivors on that awful battleground. All who entered were slain. Only the length of time they managed to stay alive changed. That's quite a nice little passage. We mm-hmm. don't actually get any descriptions of Greylock in combat, but that little passage describing like guys stood back waiting for their turn to step in over yeah. the dead to fight in that small space. Simple language, but really, really mm-hmm. effective. Quite more cocky in its effectiveness, mm-hmm. I thought. Greylock doesn't no. really give Mara any credit there. Much credit at
1: all. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, but stroke a yeah. look. Yeah, stroke a yeah. look
0: there, Mara. And then... We, I say weirdly because I'm not entirely surprised by this book. It all sort of rattles to a close really quickly because suddenly Redfrock turns up, says the tyrant is dead. Therefore, we must enter into some kind of weird process with the gatekeepers involved to decide what happens next. And I think at this point Redfrock's probably expecting the gatekeepers will say, you know what, Grey, Greylock, sling your rock," But because yeah. he's got army this... army of demons, Yeah, yeah. Because he's got this replica of Thunderer, or Thunder, Thunderer, whatever it is, Thunderer, Thunderer. So that ends up coming into play, not because it's a magic sword that can lock people's heads off, but simply because it ends up being a symbol of his status. And the gatekeepers go, "Yay, Greylock is the new tyrant," uh. and Redfrock goes. Doo, and disappears <laughs> through a through a secret door. The end. Here I
1: thought I could rely on the legal system.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was so surprising. I wish to lodge <laughs> sort of, an appeal. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's where he's gone. Maybe he's nipped off through a secret door to talk to his his barrister, his lawyer, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and, and work up their letter of appeal. But uh, <laughs> the, the final lines, it says. Uh, there was one final matter for him to face, he thought. While the matter of his succession had been decided, he had heard the entrance of the Lady Silverfrost behind him. Now he turned to see both Silverfrost and Mara smiling at him. His heart... It says his, his head... It's the only typo I came across in this book. Mm. His, heart, his heart ached at the Lady Silverfrost beauty and at the thought of how much he had once loved her and desired her still. As he had feared, Mara appeared plain and skinny beside her great beauty but he smiled as he saw the suspicious lines curl between her eyebrows as she glanced from Silverfrost to him and back. Come, Mara, sit beside me, as I promised. An imperial and haughty Lady Silverfrost, who had always expected to be the consort of the next tyrant, no matter who the tyrant was, swept from the room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. As the reign of the tyrant Greylock began, he was already suspecting that he would have more trouble from her, more than from Stuart Redfrock, Mayor Tarleton and all his other enemies put together. Here ends the first part of the annals of Greylock of God's Home. The second part is called Ice Towers and recounts Greylock's discovery of the secret of the wares and the finding of the true course of Gateway. The end of Snowcastles. Mm. Yes. Clarky, thoughts on on Snowcastles?
1: Well, like I say, bounced a bit off the first chapter. I agree it improved as it went along. Slightly problematic on the nonce side, but I think it... Mm. Dodged some bullets on the way. Mm. I handled it. Weird in the having a barbarian hero who doesn't do much barbarian, barbarianing, barbaringing, not just in terms of violence, but also in terms of kind of noble savage or barbarian. Because really, they're not barbarians, are they? No, a, it's, it's not quite cover. civilized. You know, yeah. they have houses. They have, you know, they're not they're not running around. And I think there's there's an explanation about how the lava enables them to cultivate agriculture and yes. stuff on the high yeah. plateau. Yeah, so yeah, so
0: they're quite an advanced society, aren't they? And it's it's only the, I mean, the, the cover to be fair is largely reproducing the description of the character because it just describe that he he don't wear a lot. So yeah. he, he, can, he, he looks like the classic archetype of a barbarian and the trappings are there. But actually, in terms of detail, yeah. no, it's actually quite an advanced society. There's lots of little... Because of the brevity
1: of the book and the pace of the book, there's lots of um, sketched pieces of world building that maybe yeah. hang around or fall off. So, yeah. you know, the magic contract system is interesting, but then is inconsistent. You know, the High Mare and the relationship between the High Mare and the uh, Yeoman and why the High Mare's army is full of fat blokes. It's kind of mm. just sort of floats around. And I think, I, think, I think the guy's really interested in the weirs, obviously, mm. but there is big mystery. So he's keeping them as this big mystery. I enjoyed yeah. it. I'd probably read the second one. If I saw it in a charity shop, I wouldn't pay... Collectors'
0: prices for it. I got it for a couple of quid off Abe Books. Yeah, so yeah.
1: Well, I I pay a pound for it down me. Yeah. My local Yeah, the, the, the
0: interesting thing about this book, Snowcastles, is you you look some places and people are selling it for forty quid, and then yeah. I looked on Abe Books and I, I got it for a fiver. Yeah. And I actually, so, so I mean, I got the copy I sent you, and I got a spare copy to send to a lucky patron, as well. Ooh. And I got I got I got them all for. I'm, not that I'm suggesting that all, the prizes we send to our patrons are shit and only worth a couple of shekels, but you know this this does get sold for quite a few bob on the on the second hand market in some areas. Mm. Um, but you it, but they can be found for a reason. He's place. quite
1: prolific, though. Have you looked at his website?
0: Yeah, lo- loads of horror novels.
1: As well, yeah, and like you know, lots of animal attack novels. So I was, I was quite tempted to try mm. one of his Tusker books because I do like an animal yes. attack. Yes,
0: because there's, I think there's story. four or five of them, isn't
1: there? Yes, yeah, yeah and it's, it, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know if that's being topical, but it's about wild hogs turning on mm. people. Um, mm. so, so I don't know if he was inspired by a a, a, a Twitter storm to uh, write that one, but um. Yeah, second-hand collection's weird because that devil's coach horse, as I said to you, that goes for like forty odd quid, which yeah. it's good. It 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 as an animal attack book, it's it's got a lot going for it, but it's not forty quid worth. Right? I found
0: that a lot. I found that a lot. I mean, sometimes people think I want to read that, and they see it and they just pay for it. I think that's one of the interesting things about about collectors of these type of novels. A lot of them are like us, like sort of middle-aged, middle class professionals who might have a few spare quid at the end of the month and think, I don't want to wait, I'm just going to buy it. It's the same with role-playing game collectors, isn't it? They're weird as well. I've I've had some real surprises over the years when I've I've flogged things, just what people will pay because they want it now and they don't want to wait for three months because your interest dwindles and you move. I'm the same. I put things in my basket or I watch things on eBay and I come real close to pulling. You sometimes
1: buy things twice. Well, well yeah, my I'm... role-playing collections of things you've bought twice.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> because I've got a very short attention span. <laughs> and I forget when I've pre-ordered things and order them a second time, I've got a terrible memory. But yeah, but, it's well, one of the funny things about collectors, isn't it?
1: But I, I'm, I'm the other way. I'm more of a forager. So I, mm. I there's a few exceptions. Like this year, I really want to, like I read about Iraq last year, I really want to read about the fighting in the Caucasus during mm. World War Two. Having watched a horror film called Let It Snow that was set in the Caucasus and being amazed by the terrain, I never really understood mm. how mountainous the Caucasus is. So mm. I've picked out a couple of titles I will get next year on that. But normally I'm a forager, so I just get things from the charity shop. Um, and it doesn't, much like when you're a kid reading MoCook or whatever, it doesn't matter what order they're in or whatever. Mm. It's just, it's certainly for fiction. And that's how mm. that's how I approach it, um. Yeah. Rather than, a, oh, I want that. Oh, I want it now. And and same yeah. with games. It, it tends to be bundles and stuff, or you know, stuff that I I, I find in a second
0: hand bin or something. I'm just impulsive, you know. I've I've always been. But you've
1: got more disposable income for me as well because you, you know, you don't have small tow rags in your house.
0: Well, there is that. Yeah, one of the cases of of not having children and having no mortgage because we've paid it off is having disposable oh, income to spend is to spend on shit, <laughs> <laughs>
1: drowning books.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know what? On that terrible confession. Let's <laughs> can... well, wrap this up, I'm going to wish you uh, I, a very just happy put it on new year for
1: other people. Um, <laughs> spend it on the kid shit yeah well you know what I had Thanks to go on a tour of Goodison out. yesterday Goodison Park tour of where? what's that? tour of Goodison Park it's Everton. oh Goodison. Goodison the Everton ground my, yeah. my son's a toffee isn't he so that was part uh, of his Christmas present so
0: oh bless him yeah, despite sure me being that.
1: a Tramir fan oh he did especially as they're moving to Bramall Park next year but uh,
0: yeah
1: you know and it was a bit emotional for me because my dad was an Evertonian but uh yeah. yeah, it was uh but yeah, this is this is, it would it would not have been my first choice of how to spend my money or a or a December morning. But it was yeah. a good it was a good crack. Um yeah. but yeah, happy new year. And uh let me say on behalf of all the listeners, thank you for all the stealing work you do for us, Andy.
0: Well you know what? Thank you for listening because it's something that I enjoy doing, I enjoy getting you all involved. It's been uh, real tonic this year because it's been a strange year mm. and uh here's to lots more of it in 2024 catch you next time take care all massive thanks to clarky for helping me to revive the one ship book format For anyone interested, after failing to comment on the fact that at the end Greylock seats Mara at his side as potential consort as Tyrant of God's Home, much to the disgust of Lady Silverfrost of course, I checked out the first couple of chapters of Ice Towers, and was relieved to find that she carries on living with a grandad in Castle Tyrant, so any potential queasiness was successfully averted. You can check out Clarky's blog, including what he's been up to with his collaborative Sandbox Unit campaign this past year, but also what he has planned for 2024, and that's at Clarky the Cruel. And Duncan McGeary has an author's blog, and you can find that at duncanmaggeary.com. And his last post is a very timely one, considering he posted it around the same time Clarkie and I hooked up to talk about snow castles. I hope you wouldn't mind, but I'm going to read a bit of it here, because it definitely plays into a lot of what we think about in terms of some of the authors that we cover, and is, for me at least, really honest and inspiring. Reviewing my writing before going forward. What mistakes might I have made? 1. Too many books, too fast. 2. Too many genres and subjects. 3. Not enough planning or outlining in advance. 4. Not writing a serious book. No trauma drama for me. 5. Not writing enough short stories. But even if these are mistakes, they are what I would call career mistakes. That is, they could be considered mistakes if I was trying to make a paying career out of my writing. The irony is, These are also exactly the terms of writing that I set out before starting. Rule 1. Write the book without going backward or without too much pre-planning. Let the book go where it goes. The reason for Rule 1 was that in my previous career I'd fallen into a pernicious writing cycle. I'd research and plan and then never write the book. I'd start a book and then restart a book and then restart a book and then restart a book. Rule 2. Write what I want, when I want. For me there were only two reasons to write, A for fun and personal fulfilment, B for money and fame. I realised ahead of time that the latter was very unlikely, besides I figured if I wrote for the reasons in the former I'd have a better chance of reaching the latter. Rule 3 Write for fun I have no interest in what I see in the literary field, I read to be entertained, and so I decided to write to be entertained. I let others write about trauma drama, I want my books to be an adventure. In other words, what could be considered mistakes from a career aspect are the very reasons I was writing in the first place. I really can't see how I could have done it differently. The last possible mistake was not writing short stories, but I can only see now that this is because I didn't even try until my last two efforts. Both were short stories, and both were immediately accepted by anthologies. Live and learn. So, if I'm just going to do what I was doing, then I have to figure I'm writing for fun and personal fulfilment. In that, I've already succeeded beyond anything I could have imagined. Well, Thanks for that Duncan and thanks to Michael for pointing me to Snowcastles in the first place. I'll pop the links to both Clarkie and Duncan's blogs in the show notes. And thanks as always to our Patrons for keeping this show on the road. First, those without tear, Anthony Piconte, Tim Cardos, Dave Dempster and Sebastian Weetabix. And our Chaos Engineers, Andrew Cicluna, Andrew Spong, Andrew Van Ness, Anthony Porter, Benjamin Fletcher, Bill O'Cat. Brandon Mays, Craig Ledley, Dave Griffiths, Dave Voxman, Gabriel Laycock, Harvey Faulkner Aston, Jim Kirkland, Jim Knight, John W. Lays, Jules Lawrence, Mal Pertwee, Mary Catherine, Matt Salts, Nelbert, Ofer Ziv, Paul McRandall, P.J. Cooper, Scott Butler, and Simon Perrins. And of course, thanks to our crafty jugaderos Alexander Harris, Eliel Westenra, Lawz, Taylor, Matthew Broom, Graham Holden, Toby White, and, new to the tables of chance at the tiny, licensed terminal cafe section of the Don galley, Christian Hundal. Thanks for hopping on board, Christian. An eternal thanks to our patron demons, Alistair Davison, Andy Clark, Andy Darby, David Lee, Fred Keish, Gareth Wilson, Glenn Sawyer, Greg Faulkner, Gwen Barlow, Ian Stead, Imria, Janie Stim, Jason Vogel, Jay Risa, Joe Monte, Lee Gary, Mark Hebden, Marius Litauskas, Miles Reed-Lobato, Neil Burton, Paul Hillary, Randall Gatlin, Steve Round, Tom Murphy, Tony Milazzo, the OG patron Norman Beresford, and last, but of course never least, Robert McMillan. And as for that spare copy of Snowcastles, that's going to be winging its way to, well, you'll have to stand by here. We have just under 30 patron demons, so I cleverly thought that my Zotchi D30 dice would be the perfect way to resolve the conundrum. Of who gets this book. Unfortunately, I'll end there at least three results on the die that, if you place it just so, it just rolls over to another result because it's so badly balanced. So I'll have to go old school and roll one dice for which bank of ten I subsequently roll a d10 for. I'm sure you don't need that explanation, but fuck off, Zotchi dice, you're useless. Anyway, roll one tells me that we are going with the teens, and roll two is an eight, so that will be. Mark Hebden, right. Enough from me. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Breakfast Ruins. You can email us at breakfastruins@outlook.com. The web page is breakfastintheruins.com. B I T R Breakfast in the Ruins Radio is live on Radio Garden or via the web player at breakfastintheruinsradio.blogspot.com. We have our Patreon page too, and there are a few extra odds and sods on there. But for now, take care, stay safe, and we will meet again soon on the Moonbeam Roads. back.